Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. Brandon Newman here. Put up in this particular instance. Brandon, what's going on? Feeling like a, a young black Rocky right now. You know what I'm saying? I finished Rocky Four uh, earlier this week after not seeing any of the franchises. I've been slowly getting through them. So, like, I'm, I'm feeling that that energy going into Russia. Wait. You feel me? So, you finished Rocky Four. You haven't, have you not seen any of the other Rockies and you just went straight to Rocky Four? No, 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 no. I was watching them in order. Shout out to Joy Taylor. She's always made fun of me for not seeing any of the Rockies. And I saw them and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, it's, I get it. I get it. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to see five. I saw both creeds, which has nothing to do with the Rockies, but like, it, it does. I understand Sylvester. So I, does I it? mean, it's got an, it's, I mean, it's part of the same narrative universe. So I lump, let's put it this way. I would gladly claim the creeds in there before I would claim Rocky five and probably before I'd claim Rocky Balboa. Okay. 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 All well, right, I'll give you that. I haven't seen those. I haven't seen I, those. I, I, I do want to ask you this now, and we have an awesome show today. We've got great stuff lined <laughs> oh, yeah, up for yeah. you guys. Plenty <laughs> of reaction from the NBA playoffs here. We got stars flipping people off. We have mm. J.J. Redick continuing to get buckets off the court now and get busy post-retirement. We've also got uh, Spencer Hall, who's going to join us. Um, Spencer Hall, who you guys probably know as the great college football writer, who for us today is going to be a Formula One correspondent. He's down in Miami mm -hmm. for the Miami Grand Prix that's going to be going on there this weekend. So we're going to get some boots on the ground, get you right for that one. And the picture that would have probably ruined most people's days on the internet. But... Um, Brandon, before we get to that, now that I know you've seen the Rockies here, walk with me on this one. Rocky, okay. Rockies 2, 3, and 4, all greater than Rocky 1, which actually won the Academy Award. 
I, 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 yes, I see that. I, I, I was gonna say as soon as I saw Rocky three, I was like, oh, I understand why they. I've seen Rocky three rated before Rocky one. Well, because well, you know, and just in just the power. Because you know, Rocky one did win the Academy Award for Best Picture. And so that one, everyone holds up. It's it feels a little like it's trying more. What were your like Rocky One? I think is an overrated I movie. I don't know. I don't hate that take because it was the first of its kind. Like very rarely now in history of movie watching do we have a film that is an original truly. And I think the other ones got better, but I do think the the small simple what is it of mice and men Lenny like. Just because Lenny tends to the Adrians, like well, I don't want to take it away. I don't want to take well, away it, that's, from that's the thing. The, the magic of the thing. That's exactly what it does, though. Is like Rocky <laughs> them trying to really lean into the love story. Like it's not a love story. It's a movie about a boxer who doesn't play defense. Like that's what this. Is, that's what this is about. And it's no, about no, 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 no. Okay, okay, finish, finish, finish. I don't want you to forget well, it because I'm not going. And lie. and Pauly, uh, Adrian's brother, who's human garbage. That guy is the worst. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I, I I was like I almost liked that they just had a a lovable racist uh in 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 their midst living in their home Uncle he was terrible Pauly. but he was always <laughs> terrible all he did was but say no, problematic me, stuff and hit rock up for money and then act like he listen, was the bad guy <laughs> no nah, he worked his way up he ended up being in that corner uh quite literally because after he got done hating on rocky but listen no 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 here's what here's what i got to say the movie is about what they what ivan Drakic, whatever ivan, ivan drago said, ivan drago said, Ivan Drago, excuse me, I shouldn't get disrespect the Russian right now in the midst of a. Don't uh, maybe, maybe you should. Okay, so thank, thank you, thank you. So, anyways, uh, he said he's not man, he's iron, like he's a piece of iron. Like that is what that's what this movie is about. It's about a man who is a piece of iron, quite literally. Even like the brain cells, like. Oh, I just love it. I always get the best workouts in after I see a Rocky film. So I just I just love it. Because that. that's what Rocky movies are. Rocky movies are just everything around like it's like a, the movie A Few Good Men is just a courtroom scene with a bunch of stuff that you kind of need just to get to that point. Rocky movies are build up you need to get to incredible training montages. And that's where Rocky 4 really shines is you get him going back into the wilderness, oh. you get him working out with logs, you get like the Man. you get like the uh, KGB guys that are watching him in the car or whatever. Yeah. Climbing mountains. Like helping helping fallen horses in the snow, and by the way, I haven't seen a few good men. Like I haven't seen a lot of classics. We will, we'll, we'll, bro. Well, we we, we can know. we can I do movie know. confession day uh, at some yeah. other point okay. and maybe get people that's involved that's in that because I feel like there's strength in numbers on this because there's plenty of movies that I routinely cop to not seeing that piss people off. So this is good though. I'm yeah. proud of you for putting forth that effort into a franchise that ultimately as much as I kind of give Rocky one shit, the franchise is worth going back and watching. Like it is ridiculous. It's over the top. It's what a sports movie should be. It's why I love the program I mean, as a football movie because it's a caricature of the sport. Right. Another, another classic I haven't seen. We won't talk about that because I love football so much, but uh, it really is. It is all, it's, it's like, it's like Voltron. It's like pieces of one whole 
And I can't believe people like waited in between the time. Like it was perfect, just kind of right, like deciding when I was going to see it. Like in Rocky One was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. But but Clubber Lane is wild. Wild. Apollo's wild. And also, I cannot believe Rocky, after that big Russian speech, didn't say, like, like R.I.P. <laughs> Apollo. Yeah, like, you didn't even have, like, a commemorative T-shirt or anything. <laughs> like, put, put on the put on the, the Uncle Sam hat well, I think he wore like, the shorts. Like, did, your, did he wear the shorts? Did he wear the same shorts that Apollo did? Was that the tribute? Like, it wasn't enough. You're know. right. <laughs> I don't know. Not, not for somebody who, like, we just saw die. And also, like... Rocky let him die. Like on multiple occasions, he could have stopped the, his irrational friend from doing something. Like honestly, I will be a better friend to you. Like if you if you put your if you're like try to gaslight me into telling me that a great idea is going to kill you, I'm gonna be like, Mike, no, like don't. That you want know the moral the moral of Rocky Four, <laughs> make sure make sure to be a better friend. Right, Mickey couldn't even do it. Mickey died from not being people being a good friend to Rocky. Oh my gosh, let's talk about actual. Damn, sports. yeah, be a, be in Rock, be in Rocky's it, friend is proved pretty dangerous. All things considered. Wow. Oh, Adrian living good though. Adrian living living yeah, good. good for her, man. Again, she, man. you talk about someone who deserves man. it. Came out uh, started from the pet store. Now she had here. to deal with her damn brother. So I I get it, but mm. um. So yeah, so that's our that's our review of a <laughs> decades old movie franchise to start things off here on Gojo. Um, oh, Throwback Thursday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. <laughs> Let's break down oh, the Rocky man. franchise. Oh my God! All right, we we did have basketball go on in the last few days, and we did the Katie Nolan long form interview yesterday, so we really didn't get to. Shout. A lot of the stuff. Yes, thanks again to Katie and everyone who shared the uh, social media post of her lusting after my dad. Really, really just makes me feel great about everything that's going on in life. But um, Brandon, in that interim, we had a bunch of NBA action uh, going Mm. on here. So just kind of looking back at some of the big things we saw, and I think this this is kind of a good way to, to go about it is I just look back and we feel like we're at the point in the playoffs now where we can look around at a lot of this and feel like we kind of start to know some things now. A couple of games into these yeah. series, you feel like there's things that you can count on in all of this. And I know for me, in looking at what we've gotten from the last couple of days of the NBA playoffs, seeing what the 76ers have looked like here, seeing what the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics have done in the interim after some lackluster starts... I feel like I know for sure Jimmy Butler and I know the Levitard show guys and Mike Ryan and them will probably, you know, enjoy this, but Jimmy Butler has made me believe in the whole heat culture thing. Like we're fresh off Tyler hero winning six man of the year. We went and made sure like this year has ensured already up to this point that what we saw in the bubble was not a fluke. Like everyone. why, Why this year though? Why this year? Because we weren't sure. Like after last year, there was, you know, the bubble season was strange in a lot of ways. We were all trying to figure out what was appropriate to take out of that and what wasn't. And then we went to last year and obviously things didn't go the Miami Heat's way. But then you get back to this year and just, they always had an answer. And I understand this is a 76ers team without Joel Embiid that they're going up against through two games right now. 
But it's also, True. especially in game two, they treated them like that. Like that was damn near a double digit lead the entire game. That was every time Tyrese Maxey, because I caught seven, the, the TV crew for TNT was slick. They thought they were. They started combining Tyrese Maxey and James Harden's point total. It's like, oh, they combined for 54 points. Yes. I'm like, man, Tyrese Maxey had 34 of those. Like, we talked all about right. James Harden having to step up. Tyrese Maxey was the one balling out out there. So, I, And went on Ja Morant-like runs yes. in, that, in the process. Yeah, I, I, I will say that the 76ers, even if Joel Embiid was out there, it would just be competitive, and the Miami Heat would still be the better team. Tyler Hero aside, Kyle Lowry aside, I, I just think it just doesn't look even at all. And I, I hate that you're talking about things that we've learned. I think I've learned that the Miami Heat are real, although they have two players that are on my will never win a championship list. Uh Jimmy Butler and Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo had himself a night, though. Like, especially yes, given he what did. he has come back from, and given the fact that he looks like he is wearing a lovely shade of eyeshadow when he's at the free throw line. <laughs> I, I can't. I mean, all the time he is a professional singer. His diva ass. He probably has, he probably does have. I wouldn't like listen. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't shock him either. Like. He's no, like a, he's been on he's been on what's the he looks like an masked singer he's been on masked singer and is in the playoffs he looks right like now. an Instagram filter that I would use like I'm like why does he look glowed <laughs> yes. up at the free throw line every time he's there but like yes. he was closing it out very botoxy well, and, and like I don't know the factor for him in all of this that was interesting was I remember hearing Mike Ryan talk about this saying. Jimmy Butler, it, it, apparently there was kind of word around there that Jimmy Butler didn't exactly enjoy being on the floor with Victor Oladipo. He just didn't think their style of game meshed well. But Jimmy Butler was the guy who apparently swallowed that and was going out there and setting up a lot of those opportunities. It was a lot of drive and kick for him with Victor Oladipo to finish off that game. And so it just... It seems like overall, again, for a team that maybe in the star-driven NBA we live in, we focus a little bit too much on maybe the superstar we don't feel like they do have, but everything else is tied together on a string, man. So uh, color me a believer in that, as begrudging as I came to it as. Uh, speaking of getting tied on a string, uh, Jack Harlow and Tyler Hero, uh, six man of the year, I, I can respect. I, I, I feel that. I see that. Uh, pencil mustache and all. He looks like a, a rocking Bullwinkle villain. But John Morant winning comeback player of the year, I have an issue with the number two person drafted winning or most, oh, not most improved. Most improved oh, player. You, so improved you're doing player. your best impression of the uh, LeBron James tweet, right? Did you? <laughs> did you did you see the LeBron James tweet about that? I didn't. I didn't. Oh. But I often feel like I have Magic Johnson takes. Brandon, let like, me like my takes on things are literally like the AP wire. Let, let me let me give you this gem then, so you can appreciate the company you're in. Because LeBron did one very good thing when LeBron James, who's been out of the playoffs and who's allowed everyone else by nature of that to actually go and have their moments does come try and come through every once in a while. And he tweeted this out um, a couple days ago during that game. 
Ja is so damn tough. There's no way Ja should even have been in most improved talks. That guy is a flat-out star and always has been. Real basketball. Now, I don't know by emoji use if he means basketball heads because he used the brains emoji. So, I don't mm, know if it's basketball. Minds. Mi- oh, minds. There we go. Not I think so. Real basketball minds. No, not the majority of dweebs who don't even watch basketball voting on these ballots. Dweebs. Okay. Okay. He came at the nerds. I don't know if that was necessary. Just blanket say I don't agree with this because I think a lot of Yo, people didn't. Bron is at home. Bron is like the rest of us at home. Three glasses of vino deep, just tweeting through it. You know who doesn't? Who else doesn't agree with it? Ja, because who did he send that award to? Didn't he send it to Bain? Oh, he said. Yeah, he said that this should be Desmond Bain. Yeah, he's, he was doing the good teammate thing, which is the no. He sent it to him. Oh, he actually sent to it his to home. Him? He sent it to his home. Wow, that's a great. I mean, Bain looked like he didn't really. Well, like, what are you gonna do with that if you're Desmond Bain too? Like, yeah, it's an insult to the award. It's an insult to the entire thing. It's like, who wants this? Nobody. That's like the. um, Do you remember when Bob Diaco was at UConn and he tried to start the Civil Conflict Trophy? With Central Florida, (sighs) where it had like CT and FL raised up in it, and. Central uh, UCF beat, I think it was them in UCF. I'll have to double check this, but UCF beat them and didn't want to take the trophy. So it just got left out there. (laughs) That is the most Bob Diaco as a head coach story I've ever heard. And everyone who ever, all the UConn fans out there love some Bob Diaco stories. I mean, we went to, uh, (laughs) what was it called? We went to like our church before. Uh, it's like what was it called? Like the Bible study? Oh yeah, fellowship. What was the thing called fellowship. Yes, fellowship, and it was like for people to get a little Bible study in. Uh, after the le- whatever doesn't matter. Before it doesn't matter. Bob Diaco was in there with us, and the things that he would confess, y'all. <laughs> you can't share. You can't gonna, share with I'm that not, man. I'm not, put into fellowship. And that I'm not. I'm not. Better lock in. I'm just. I'm just saying some eyes were shared around the circle when we, I mean, shout out to the whole. Um, <laughs> we're getting you away. We're getting you away from this and back to Desmond Bain and the unwanted most improved player trophy, which I will say. You brought up, you brought up UConn. I did bring up UConn. That is on me. I will wear the hat on that one. What I will point out as we're talking about things that we know at this point in the postseason, Desmond Bain, one Mm -hmm. of the most impressive basketball players left in the NBA because he is out there balling with football shoulders. 100%. I don't believe in basketball players with football shoulders. The last time I did was uh, uh, Dwight Howard, but he was um, uh, a building, quite literally. Well, yeah, I mean, it's literally like it's the the – the transition of all NBA shoulders has gone from the Admiral and David Robinson, then to Dwight mm, Howard, sure. and I think now rests with Giannis Antetokounmpo. But Desmond Bain, like Giannis, is still like monster shoulders yeah. on a basketball body. Desmond Bain's got the bad posture where your traps, yes. that upper shoulder, are so like are so present that yes. it rolls you forward. Yes. And he does the big guy at the gym run where it doesn't look athletic enough to do what he's doing. So. Shout out to him, man. He looks like, yeah, he does look like a football player hooping in, in his meantime or in, in his downtime. The other thing I will say, Brandon, and shifting gears a little bit to that Milwaukee and Boston series, 
Yes. I do want to like put my hand up and always admit when I'm wrong. I was one of those guys when things were looking like they were going bad for the Celtics. I said, you got to consider breaking these guys up. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work in the way that we all thought it was going to when they were there, when Kyrie Irving was hurt in the postseason and it all started to, you know, kind of come undone for that core. Dead ass wrong on that one. Like, dick. How'd you, what, how'd you, how did you come up with that take, honestly? Well, because, I mean, I saw them struggling so much in the regular season. This was, I mean, we were looking at all this dysfunction, a lot of turnover, obviously, in the Celtics franchise when Brad Stevens decided to go upstairs and they made all these change. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, all this is the perfect time. No, I mean, just, just dead ass wrong. Dead, dead ass wrong. Yeah, I feel like they were clearing the decks because they already knew that these players were, like, that was it. Like, I think we've talked about it before how they rallied together hating Kyrie Irving. And then they've really just balled out since, like ever since they committed to Marcus Smart. I, Al Horford should have never left that team. He just like is a Boston Celtics. Uh, shout out to Tillman Clark, one of our uh, followers. He texted me and wanted me to let, uh, wanted to let the people know that the Boston Celtics will not lose when they wear green. Mm. So that's just, uh, I don't know if that's one of those. <laughs> lucky things but i don't all I have, what i don't know i don't know what it is but great tweet <laughs> great tweet yeah I'm gonna, let me stop let me stop reading text messages on, on air. wait also uh, it, was but, it actually a text message or was it a tweet he texted me he said oh okay he said, i didn't know this went, a per- i yeah. thought that you okay. I thought this is a per- I thought you were doing the old person thing that my dad does when someone tweets at him and he calls it an email or says that they text him. Like to him, every electronic communication comes from the same source. Yeah, uh, I think I think my uh, my dad likes to call it face chat, and it's just like, oh, he does the Belichick thing. You, like you know, that's not it. You know, that's not it. I, even you have a, you have an Android and you still know that's not it. Uh, but anyways, we were, we were talking about. The Celtics Bucks. Yes, well, and I just, you know, admitting when I was wrong on that one, but that one's easy to see at this point. Like, Jalen Brown in the last game, I think, had 25 of his 30 in the first half. Jason Tatum had 19 of his point total in the second half. Like, it was a perfect compliment. They were without Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year in that game. He had the quad contusion. So, you know, I I understand Milwaukee still without Middleton, but big big message sent. What they've done already, sweeping the nets in the last round, like, just, just, just deader wrong than that, and I want to use the time to do it. What, what do you prefer, the lopsided wins in the first two games, or like more of the competitive that we've seen with the Grizzlies Warriors series? I think I always, I think I always can, would prefer the games to be competitive like that. Like that was the Golden State trope a few playoffs ago, where. Every game, one way or the other, was like a 15-point blowout. That used to kind of be the the mode of the playoffs. But every game the Grizzlies have touched so far has turned to gold. Like, going back to last series, that might be another thing that we can say we know definitively at this point, is the Memphis Grizzlies are great for the brand of the NBA. Like, they're legitimately... We always talk about the things that are, like, good, quote-unquote, good for the league. Ja Morant, in any form, is good for the league. John Morant dancing on the court after the game. John Morant creating, you know, sending trophies to his teammate. John Morant on the court late in games when his team needs him. 
He's good for the NBA. It, it, it has been incredible. He is right now, I'd say, the surest thing that we have as far as a product. Like, when I turn on every night, John Morant's become must-see TV, and I can count on him. So in any of these moments, no matter what has happened in the game prior, in the biggest moments of the game, I can count on dude to be fearless and cut it loose. I, yeah, I can go, I'll go as far as say he's the best player in the playoffs right now. Like, I, he had a very slow first round, but – when you when he's on, it feels like at times it feels like he's the best basketball player I've ever seen, and I don't want and obviously I want to slow down with it, but like this like crazy long armed uh, Allen Iverson uh, like, and when he pulls up and hits, it's just it's as good as those layups for somehow. Like I just love watching him with the ball in his hands and every decision he makes. Just feels like the right one, even though even when they like seem like more selfish plays. Like it's just electric. someone made the comp to me when he was coming out of college, and I forget who it was. If it was Tim Legler or, or one of ESPN's NBA analysts, they said that the way he plays, especially as a point guard, is kind of like Patrick Mahomes. It's a lot of different arm angles. It's doing Ooh. stuff that might, on the surface, look a little unorthodox, but because he's so physically gifted and talented and pliable, he can pull all that off. And it's kind of coming to fruition, right? Like it's not, you know, the Zion thing was hard to predict, and Zion when he has been, no, it was well, not. Zion when he's been on the court has been sensational. Zion, when he's on the court, has been electric. We understand that this past year has been anything but that and the injuries and the weight and all those things that have come up. But when Duke was on the court, he was a monster. So I'm not I'm, Near the, I'm not going to write I, it all off yet, yeah. but I'm just going to say okay. John Morant so far has been everything he was advertised when, when people started talking about him in those terms. So why most improved player? Like, what does that mean? Like, closest to being on an MVP ballot? That that just probably is what it seems like, right? Is you're young and we weren't ready to talk about you as the MVP in time for you to be involved in all that. Because we've seen the MVP kind of takes you having to build up some inertia, right? You've got to kind of... Yeah. You've got to kind of get some time under the voters' eyes for them to start to really lump narrative. you in. Oh, yeah. Big narrative award, all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Most most you, improved you, is the uh, is the junior MVP. Like next year, John Morant will start the season in MVP talks, probably. You talked about the fact that Embiid is showing that he's the MVP now with this well, with this fall from I'm, grace with him on the I'm bench. Not, I'm not ready to say that. So I saw Kendrick Perkins tweet that last night, and I think it's going okay. to be an easy place for a lot of people, especially Philadelphia fans, to go. But I also just I'm not one that's overly here for the Jokic slander. Like, I understand his team has fallen short, and it's that weird thing that happens to most people sans Phoenix out in that, you know, west area of the country where those four Ooh. states meet, where Utah and Denver yeah. always seem to fall short in a way that allows everyone the, to write off their regular season. Yes, the NBA's version of a food desert. Yes, exactly. Except, except for the Suns, who are legitimate ass kickers. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, now. But, but I, I guess all that is to say... I still think that Jokic, especially for a regular season award, has done more than enough. Like, you take that guy off that team, and my God, watch that thing crater. 
we've certainly seen the Sixers are much, much lesser without Joel Embiid. That is a much worse team without Joel Embiid. And I have a feeling we're going to watch that guy prove it again by coming back earlier than he should considering what he dealt with as an orbital fracture and was in the concussion protocol and kind of reinsert that by doing what he does, playing hurt and still playing well in the postseason. We've seen that now from him. That's part of the brand. Yeah, but like I said earlier, it it's just just be more wear and tear on a body that doesn't need it because the the heat got this got got this thing. Yeah. Oh, it, it, that's that is the worst part about it. You're absolutely right, Brandon. And I said this last year. I remember Philadelphia fans starting to get up in arms because for so many NBA superstars, we say, "Why isn't that franchise doing enough to maximize their window?" And with Philadelphia, that was the part of the rallying cry last year with Ben Simmons and what happened in that postseason and the urgency around that move needing to be about maximizing that physical window for Joel. And now, you know, James Harden, he came over so late in the season, maybe it's unfair to expect too much, but back-to-back games now without Joel Embiid, we've seen James Harden, you know, has distributed well, has set other guys up to an extent, but has not been able to take over the game without Joel Embiid in the lineup. So it's going to be yet to see if we can count on that over the course of a full season, all that time under their belts, et cetera. But I, I would love to move on, but it also wasn't just like lights out with both of them on the floor. No, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> listen. I mean? but- like it still was a toss-up. Yeah, the, the shine doled off that pretty quickly. So, yeah. Um, Brandon, let's talk about Ben Simmons here quick because now that we've kind of gotten through and, and the things that we know about the playoff teams that we have left, we did have some interesting off-the-court stuff about the take cycle around the NBA that I think is super interesting. Ben Simmons, uh, if anyone missed this, The Brooklyn Nets announced that after consulting with multiple back specialists, it's been determined that the best course of action for Ben's long-term health is for him to undergo surgery. He's having a microdiscectomy procedure scheduled for Thursday, so that would be today, designed to alleviate pain caused by a herniated disc in Ben's back. Further updates will be provided following the procedure. And Brandon, we know a lot of guys that have had this microdiscectomy surgery to kind of you know, that nerve back pain is something I've dealt with, is something I had a brother who had plenty of back surgery. You know, we've had teammates who have been through it. That's not anything to shake a stick at. And for a lion's share of the public, and we saw the Stephen A. Smiths and others of the world really take Ben Simmons to task over this, Do are people going to owe him an apology coming off of this? Because I felt like even without knowing this, we probably dealt with him too harshly. Part of it is we don't hear anything from Ben Simmons. We went a long time without hearing anything from Ben Simmons and his camp. But we took a, I thought the general take industry, I'm not saying you and I, took a lot of liberties with his toughness and all these things because we didn't hear from him on the day to day. I don't know Ben Simmons as a teammate. I've heard things behind the scenes, but not things I'd be comfortable, you know, actually sharing and going out there with. I just right. I just feel like even without this info, that was probably a bridge too far on some of the stuff that was said about him. And now with this in tow, it's like, all right, this guy was legitimately dealing with something. That team was already in a bit of disarray and it dealt with a dysfunctional season. And at the end, for all of the machina- the stuff that went on with Kyrie Irving during the season, 
it seemed like Ben Simmons ended up wearing the lion's share of that by the end because he decided to wear a loud jacket on the bench. Uh, yeah, he constantly wears loud jackets. I, I don't want to get in, that Louis V that Louis Vuitton jersey that he wore uh, first game, going back home to the Sixers was quite quite the outfit choice. Um, as someone who's constantly on the bench, uh, but I don't, Mike. I maybe I'm too much of a conspiracy theorist. What's is there any metrics on people getting surgeries that they don't need? It's, yeah, I I don't. I I'm I'm okay. If you okay, if you don't have it, then you don't have it. You you're more knowledgeable than I am, so I was just throwing it out there just to. See I tell if you it was what, people definitely. I tell me, you what, people definitely don't have when they don't need it is what? any back procedure. Because I can tell you what's not okay. a great time is any back procedure. Like I'm not. Yeah, I haven't any, any, any coming back from a right. Back any anything surrounding what? backs, I have an overwhelming amount of empathy for, and maybe this is a personal thing here, but that just yeah, I, I you don't do that one unless you got to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll get. Yeah. Okay. Because I he's done so many questionable things that I just have lost trust Whoa. in him and his decision making. But 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 this back surgery. Speaking of butts, this uh this back surgery can explain what I've seen of him, like getting hot in practice and and going crazy because your back feels great. Uh, going to the going to the Sixers practice with a phone in his pocket and doing some quick crossovers like he's in his neighbor's backyard, like all those little things that does scream maybe some back issues. But he just doesn't. I, he's one of those faces though that like, like I can't even tell if he's in pain. He's just kind of a mannequin. I would also man. say this: like we don't have to go back that far, right? We knew what he was doing, trying to get out of Philly. There, I don't know. I don't remember when right. the back pain specifically became a part of this, because again, we never hear this guy talk, especially in the last year. That hasn't been a part of all this. I would say this though, Brandon, in light of recent events, the other part of this that I think becomes even more understandable in why you may not rush back with that, especially when you're in a guy in Ben Simmons' position. And everyone always asks all of us who played, what would you have done? And we were, you know, we were grunts. We were guys that were, you know, far closer right. to the meat of the bell curve. I played, you know, plenty of borderline stuff. We all played through stuff. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it works. Football's a different sport. But look no further than what Baker Mayfield did in the NFL this past year and how he's been Ooh. treated since to need that reminder that going out there and trying to be the guy that puts it on the line for the team and plays hurt only works if you play well. And if it doesn't, we toss you out like last week's trash. Yeah, you're right. I mean, gosh, that's a good point. I don't know, because Baker's one of those guys too. It's just, there's always something. Again, it's not absolving them of everything, but it's also saying that's a cautionary yeah. tale. There's stuff in this that because these guys have done things in the past that we don't agree with, and because in one's case in Ben Simmons, we don't hear from him all that much anymore, I feel like then it emboldens people to kind of go out here with stronger and stronger stuff because you're not getting anything to really sink your teeth into. All there was to go off of with Ben Simmons was basically vibes and what we had felt like about him before because we weren't getting a ton of new information from him. Okay, that's us. 
But were the Nets getting any new information? Because if they thought that this surgery was in the future, this trade is even more baffling. Well, listen, for both sides of that one, the 76ers and the Nets, they were hamstrung by situations that had long ago spiraled out of control, right? Like you were both facing the prospect of getting nothing out of a person there or getting less than you bargained for and it being the huge distraction that it dominated headlines that entire time. So there were larger forces at play that basically left each of them with only one other dance partner to go ahead and make that work with. Yeah, I think this is a this is a as you were uh, alluded to at the beginning, it feels like a nice way to close the drama, uh, the book on the drama around Ben Simmons, and then just kind of just treat him like another player that's trying to get back from an injury. It, it will be interesting to see what he does going forward with this. But you're right; it is kind of uh, all right. There's there's something tangible for the first time in a while with the Ben Simmons story, and it is this back surgery that he will now have. But but we we play so careful. His mental health was is is tangible. It was tangible enough at at a that, time. I I said it. I said it at the time, and I will continue to say it now. Ben Simmons' mental health. I forgot my computer wasn't plugged in. I've done this every time we've done the podcast where I forget to plug my computer in and then I see it dying. And so I had to do this. You still going to do a take from under your desk. I was desk. just trying to shout it I up to the what, mic. And like, and about like the most sensitive subject that we have maybe in sports right now in dealing with athlete mental health. But I, I said this yeah. at the time and I firmly believe it. We are not equipped equipped as a sports watching public to have the Ben Simmons mental health conversation because we True. do we still do the thing where all mental health True. is the same you know silo for us yes and we yeah. don't deal with yeah. any we don't have the words yet as a sports watching yeah. public as a sports media to deal with that and so I think yeah. sometimes it's fine to leave that alone until we all update our software enough and get enough reps with these situations to be able to handle it responsibly. This is a very wild comp, no T, but like people who didn't know Pokemon, they all, everyone thought that Pikachu was Pokemon. You're, the, the, type, the people that you're talking about think mental health is just synonymous with depression. Yes. You know, just like they just don't yes. get it. It's like, oh, you don't. Yeah, you don't they, they, they see it. it. A lot of people see it as one thing. And not a myriad of different things that all fall under that umbrella that deserve seriousness in the way that we talk about them. So apt, apt comparison there. Absolutely. The last thing on the NBA front that I wanted to get to, Brandon, as we move to some of the off the court take cycle headlines. Mm -hmm. Does J.J. Redick hate Bob Cousy? I think J.J. Redick might hate. (laughs) <laughs> old basketball fans and is, and I think a lot of old basketball fans like to reference Bob Cousy. Well, I, I know Mad Dog I heard hey, I heard he was amazing. I heard he was so, amazing. JJ Reddick was on first take with Stephen A and Mad Dog Russo on uh Wednesday and went off and was trending the entire day because he did this teardown of Mad Dog and the people criticizing Draymond Green for how he carries himself because we had the podcast after his ejection. We had Draymond double-birding the crowd after they were cheering when he got hit in the face and was bleeding and, you know, injured. 
and you know talked after the game saying find me I make 25 million dollars a year and Mad Dog Russo said you know basically told him to shut up and play he did the shut up and dribble thing JJ Redick took yeah. offense to that and spoke pretty passionately about how and when he got fired up at the end talking about how there are a lot of people who want to hear what Draymond Green has to say he's got a very lucrative podcast he's got a talent contract mm-hmm. with Turner Sports and then said at the end you know I don't care what the older basketball fans who have this connotation to the way they speak about young black athletes have to say about the sport. But he did it by saying, I don't care about fans of Bob Cousy and the rest of these people. And this is now the second time Bob Cousy has come up with JJ Reddick. Cause you remember the last time he was go- going after mad dog. He said, Bob Cousy couldn't dribble with his left hand and played in the NBA when only eight teams made the postseason. Like dudes just got it yes. out for Bob Cousy. I mean, low-hanging fruit. I like it. I like if JJ listen, JJ Reddick is a professional. He is a baller, a former baller. If anyone's done their homework, it's him. Anything he says about Bob Cousy, I'm taking to the bank. He like I went back and watched the first Bob Cousy rant, and that one he just eviscerated him. Like Bob Cousy couldn't play with his left hand. Bob Cousy's <laughs> out there playing against firefighters and plumbers. Like it was it was scorched earth. You know what? This one was more of a stray, but I still walked away going, wow, JJ Reddick continues to be a very articulate antidote to sometimes too much of the hot takery. He's been a wonderful presence sure. at ESPN and in first take. Old Man in the Three is an awesome podcast. He gets great guests. And also, like, this guy cannot help but slight Bob Cousy when he is arguing with Mad Dog Russo. You know what it is? I think uh, growing up, his dad was like, Cousy does this. Cousy would have Cousy, Cousy. And you know, because being, like, being a young being, dad, dad's in yeah, his head. Being a young white basketball player, everyone's going to compare right. you to Bob Cousy, which I don't. Right, he just wanted to be compa- compared to Pistol Pete, and he just got Bob Cousy all day long. I don't think timeline wise that matches up, but I'm willing to go with it. I'm willing <laughs> to go with it. So, shout out to uh, shout out yeah, to JJ, JJ Reddick. Have her, JJ with the good takes out oh, here, man. out here getting them into the timeline. <laughs> Speaking. Of the good takes. We have Formula One coming up this weekend. We have Formula One in America, in Miami, down by our friends at Meadowlark. And we have our friend Spencer Hall, who is going to join us to get us ready. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot in an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a Same Game Parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOJO. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Excited to welcome into the podcast now, college football writer, host of the Shutdown Fullcast, the internet's only college football podcast. 
as well as thinking out loud in the SEC network. You guys can read him at channel six, two two, uh, things a week. And Spencer Hall joining us now in this case this week. Uh, Spencer, does Formula One correspondent fit right? Is that is that the right title for this week? Uh, For this week, yes. Apparently, I am a Formula One correspondent and uh, and personality for for one week. I saw the set today; felt very real. It's right over turn eleven. Uh, it is uh, at the end of one of the longest straights in uh, F one. The only one that's longer is in Jeddah. So, yeah, apparently, this is extremely real. So real that I saw Carlos signs out jogging the track because it's a thing that the teams do i don't know if you know this but when they get there to work out tracks about three miles it's a nice little 5k Hmm. they'll just all go out and run it wow now now, were you a professional fs1 correspondent before today because it sounds like you were no i am not i was just a big fan so i could do a very good job of sounding like i know what i'm talking about that's That's half the battle that's half the battle in all of this job. But all of that did betray, and we were talking about this before we actually started recording this, that you did, in fact, get to go also walk the track yourself the way that we always see these drivers do. So what was your first impression of it? Because this is the first time in what? Is it something like 84 years where the U.S. has had two Grand Prix in the same calendar year? This is the them back in Miami. So this is a track that they've been building around Hard Rock Stadium for the last little bit. So what were your impressions of seeing this finished product finally? It's impressive. I mean, it is impressive because I think that um, the three of us would know it best as the place where you play dominoes in the parking lot before watching the Orange Bowl. That's it. Yes, that's yes. that's really yes. what it is. It's the <laughs> it's it's the freaking parking lot of Hard Rock, formerly Pro Players, formerly Joe Robbie Stadium. It is wow. So they've completely transformed that space into something which is indistinguishable from you know half of the other F one tracks in the world, which are dedicated. It's you know you can really only see it at the seams. Otherwise, it feels exactly like a track. Um, it is short on corners, meaning that the straights are very long and the straights are very fast. So this is going to be a very quick race. Uh, it is going to have speeds uh, of, of, you know, probably 180 is entirely possible down that back. 180, 190 is entirely possible down that back stretch. It has got long, long runs. So I don't know if you're going to be able to see that on television and really appreciate it, but in person, it's going to be breathtaking. Is, is that, and I saw a lot of commentary about this because obviously this is part of a, a bigger move with F1 right now, this increase in growth and popularity in the U.S. They already announced the race for Las Vegas in 2023. All of that we can get to, but what you just mentioned with the track, like what makes a good racetrack in F1? Because I saw a lot of fans debating in the comments as they would about what kind of track this is, what kind of race it's going to be. You want passing. Uh, passing mm. is at a premium in F1. Qualifying typically sets your storylines. Qualifying uh, is especially important in F1 for anyone who is a big NASCAR fan. Qualifying in NASCAR is important, but generally a poor showing in qualifying can be overcome to get a competitive finish. And F1, um, that isn't quite as true because everyone's so good and performance is so consistent that if you end up in sixth, 
passing to get up to fifth or even fourth or even third um, is extraordinarily difficult. So especially at a track like Monaco, this is a track where you're going to have long straightaways and you're going to have the ability to use uh, DRS, which is uh, my favorite way to explain it is that it is um, this, the mushroom in Mario Kart. Mm. It is um, it is a nice. spoiler adjust. It is a spoiler adjustment that lifts and gives uh, ten to twenty miles an hour additional uh, speed to a racer in a passing zone. Um, there are certain times in a race when you can use it, certain times when you can't. Um, this is a racetrack where there will be an opportunity to use that. The fact that there aren't a whole lot of intricate turns means yes we could have passing we could have you know solid drafting and we could have passing another factor to me that and i'm not really sure it's going to work i have to ask um, a couple of very much smarter people than me about this i'm curious to see how the heat's going to affect everything Mm. i want you to know most of the people who are affiliated with f1 are from the european metropolitan area they are not exactly fond of this kind of heat and I don't think that this is something that they get to work in uh, quite a bit. Yeah, they do race in Saudi. They do race in, in, in UAE. This is a slightly different animal in terms of humidity and how it's going to grab on the track. The simulator can only really do so much, especially because this is Florida. The racetrack, the race is at 3.30 on Sunday on Ooh. ESPN. Um, what time does it usually rain in Florida? Around 4 o'clock, like a faucet. It's just going to go on for like 15 minutes and then it's going to go off. So the weather and the humidity really have a chance to affect how this race is run. Okay, you said it, and I was thinking it. F1 is an overseas sport, in my mind. Uh, (laughs) Predominantly European. Why Miami? Why now? Like, where is the sport that this makes sense to have two Grand Prix this year in America? Drive Survive is reason one. Drive to Survive has been the catalyst for this explosive growth and F1 interest in uh, the United States. Go figure, you make a TV show for Americans uh, that explains the sport. And, you know, hey, you're, you're speaking the song of our people. That's how you explain things, right? <laughs> exactly. Not just, you know, like, like we can't just appreciate the sport and figure it out on our no. own. What no. we need is a TV show. If you can put it on the screen for us and explain it to us in those terms, we're good. We're good. We got this. Um, <laughs> And it just so happens that they made a really good show and it's yes. very compelling and, and it's got great stories and great characters. Um, even if sometimes those stories and those characters aren't exactly the, or how's this? It's what happened in the race, but it might not be the most important thing that happened in the race. Mm. Uh, and it might not be as significant as they're making it out to be. Right. That There's was my favorite part of season one of drive to survive was every episode you'd get to the end and all of the guys that they had been harping on were finishing in like P11 and P7. And then, oh, wait a minute, Mercedes and Ferrari showed up next season. Co- correct, yeah. correct. We Like season one was great and they didn't even have access to the sport's biggest players week to week, right? Uh, which, by the way, just to show you how things usually go in Formula One, they did give, Mercedes gave access to uh, Formula One or, or to drive to survives people for their big return to their home track in Germany. Big deal. Chance for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes to take a victory lap with full access. This was the German Grand Prix where everything went completely wrong and where Hamilton, I believe, ended up finishing 14th and Mercedes had a disastrous race and they got everything on camera. And you'll notice that Mercedes really didn't allow that kind of, uh, 
kind of content to occur again in that kind of access because uh, I don't know, man, people believe in curses. You can get a bunch, you can get like 30 of the world's brightest engineers to design a flying plane that just happens to be a, uh, a race car. And they'll, uh, they'll still be like, yeah, that might be cursed. Don't think we should do that again. So that is absolutely true. And you mentioned kind of the dynamic that had been played at that show, how that control goes into that. Lewis Hamilton is the name that everyone, I think, most knows around this. Obviously, the seven-time world champion. He's got all the accolades. We know lately it's been a di- bit of a different story with Mercedes. So if there are American fans coming to this for the first time this weekend because of the spectacle, who are kind of the players currently sitting atop the sport and what's at stake as we are sort of early in the season right now for F1? Two teams right now that are at the top are uh, Ferrari and Red Bull. And those two teams are the ones who really did dial in the package of adjustments and changes that were due for this year. Um, F1 changed things up. Um, uh, Ostensibly, the goal was to encourage more passing and to encourage more competitive racing, which um, isn't always the case in F1. It's a lot like college football in that, man, if you start out number one and you got that machine dialed in right, you got the right driver. You're probably going, you know, going wire to wire is a real possibility, even if you lose one along the way. The thing to watch for is this, that uh, Red Bull and Ferrari, Ferrari got off to a very strong start. And I I don't really want to say they've fallen off, um, but they've had a couple of DNFs. They've had, um, they have shown signs of not quite adjusting quite like Red Bull has. Red Bull has done a little more adjustments. Um, so they may be catching up to the game. Mercedes is a wild card here because I know that they have put in a lot of work to make the car more competitive, cars more competitive than they've been. Right now, George Russell, George Russell is much more uh, competitive than Lewis. It's a, I believe, a dual product of this. The car itself right now is doing something called porpoising, hmm. which means the car is doing this on the track. Literally, it's going up that's and the down. In, that's the industry term. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, Spencer just uh, made his hand look like a little dolphin, like a porpoise. I did. I did. For those who can't see, the hand is going up and down like a sine wave. We are porpoising. And porpoising uh, has been, some teams have countered by adding weights and sacrificing speed in order to put the car on the track with a little more, you know, a little more gravity, a little heavier, see if we can go ahead and get it to chill out. Um, Mercedes hasn't quite dialed that in and Lewis has had a struggle with it. My personal theory, George Russell's doing a lot better because he came from a much, uh, a much less ballyhooed and well-funded team in Williams. He's used to driving a crap car. Lewis Hamilton is not used to driving a crap car and he is struggling very, very badly with it. They're a real wild card this weekend. McLaren has improved, uh, over the course of the last couple of races. So, you know, they might be a factor here, Lando Norris especially, um, in this race. It really, qualifying is, this is why F1's cool. When qualifying comes out, you'll see, you'll go, okay, I got a little preview of the race, and I think I know how it might sort of go, right? Our primary players, et cetera. I, I have a question, dumb question. Um, maybe someone there can no, learn from this. There, there, there are no dumb questions. Thank you. I, I, I was hoping you said that. Um, I'm hearing McLaren. I'm hearing Mercedes. I'm hearing Red Bull. What are the qualifications to have an F1 team 
car? Like, where is there a McDonald's car out there? Like, like where where does the mm-hmm. line stop? A checkbook. A checkbook is is pretty much step one to having an F one team. Uh, the qualifications you have to have a lot of money, and you got to build your own car, uh, mm-hmm. and you got to figure out a way to get an engine in that car. The easiest way for most uh, people to do this is to have an you know have an affiliate or sponsoring auto manufacturer. That is, there is still some element of watch it on Sunday, drive it on Monday for the luxury market. So wow. yeah, Ferrari's been in the sport forever. Mercedes, Mercedes took like over fifty years off after the worst automotive accident in the history of motorsports, but. They're very much with this is a high end of our performance line. Um, I'm very excited just to give you an, another idea, another major a major uh, player in this. Audi and Porsche are going to be en- entering the game. Um, I don't know if that's next year. It might be two years, but they are coming back hmm. as well. And Porsche, a fearsome engineering, uh, just the capacity that they have for building uh the sort of electric cars of the future. If you've ever seen any of Porsche's e-cars, if they set their mind to make a really good race car, they're going to eventually make a good race car. It might take four years, might take five years, but they are going to beat some ass on the track. It is just a matter of time and finding the right driver. And you have other uh, manufacturers like Alfa, uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, and you have Renault um, out there, but um, or you had Renault out there, uh, and then you have Alpine. The, there are other things. Red Bull sponsors a team, and that's because they have a checkbook, and they do that. You know, they they have gone back and forth with using. Uh, you know, they were the first in on the Honda engine, so Honda's involved in the sport, but it's via Red Bull. And then there are guys who just you know there are some old school family teams out there, right? Like NASCAR has family teams. You know, they've got you know Richard Childress Racing, etc. Haas wow. Haas has a presence in both NASCAR and F1. Haas Racing is uh, the lovable scrappy underdog of f1 right now so that's a number of different ways it really just comes down to having a large checkbook having the incentive and the motivation and the need to put yourself out there either as a car manufacturer or a brand and then man you got to keep writing checks because they don't stop coming that does seem to be the interesting part about this sport is the viewing experience for the sport at almost every turn reminds you the level of wealth you're dealing with. And that's not just on the track, but that's also the sponsorships. That's the people that try and get in around the money on this sport. And I know I saw, um, I think it's uh, Zach Brown, obviously not the same, but the CEO for McLaren said that this week in Miami does feel like the Super Bowl in the way of brand activations, celebrities down there, all those things like from what you've seen so so far is that accurate i mean you covered big sporting events in this country here how is this starting to measure up for something that's really having its sort of maiden voyage in this way it seems like in the u.s well you know you know you're in a different tax bracket when you look at the sponsors and you go i was walking the track and i was like oh we're on the crypto.com section and then you pass yes. from the crypto.com section into the rolex section and then you pass from the, and, and by the way, Rolex already sponsors an entire other racing circuit and they still take out money to put into F1. That's, that's the level of wealth you're dealing with here. And the traveling circus element is not insubstantial. They, they have an entire paddock that they assemble from, you know, vast shipping containers full of alien technology, right? And you get little peaks. Like I was going to the paddock today. 
you know, you get little peaks of the car up on, you know, so and like somebody's looking at it with a laser. That's not, that doesn't happen at, at, you know, in rally car, in rally car, there's a tent and there's a guy banging a piece of metal with a hammer <laughs> to get it in the right shape. That's not happening at the F1 track. Right. Um, so already sort of the things you see, you go, it's different. This is a step up in many different ways. Spencer, do you have a favorite driver in F1? Um, I, I, I think most people would say that my favorite driver is Valtteri Bottas, um, uh, who I call Terry Bodass, because it's just that's if he were had an alter ego who was American, he'd be Terry Bodass, not Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> you know, um, I love him because I love Finnish drivers. Finnish drivers are just their own special kind of crazy. Um, speaking of a special kind of crazy on his week off, Valtteri Bottas entered a long distance cross country, uh, mountain bike race in Colorado and finished second of a pretty substantial field. I think they were like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It was like a, I think it was a 54 kilometer, uh, or maybe 74 kilometers, uh, a long ass way on, on really rough kind of Southwestern Colorado terrain. And Who's he this finished. Man? Yeah, yeah, a mutant, right? Like just some sort of insane. By the way, like not his environment. This is a guy you know grew up in like five degrees and uh, lakes and forests, and he's out there on a mountain bike, just you know kicking ass, and finished second overall. That's what he did in his off week, man. So if you want to say these drivers aren't athletes, the footage of them shooting um, free throws today and shooting a basketball. For this Puma event that they did will not dissuade anyone that they are not athletes. However, when you look at what they do and then what they do in their spare time, you go, oh, it's that kind of athlete. Also, by the mm-hmm. way, I'd argue everybody's so specialized at this point in, in their particular sport. When you have something as technical and refined as F1 in terms of, you know, these guys have to start at a certain point where they just won't make it. You know, nobody decides to be an F1 when they're 17 or 18 and just happens to pick it up. No, they've been carting forever, right? You got to, your mom and dad have got to get you a go kart. Then you got to get the special go kart. Then you got to qualify and rise through the ranks. It's, it's a very dedicated thing. If you can't shoot a free throw, I don't blame you, especially if you know you're like from Monaco, you know, like right. you're not exact, you're not exactly, you're not exactly out there hooping every day if you're uh, from like Northern Spain, you know, you might be. I could be surprised. I, I can tell you George Russell wasn't. I, I saw George Russell shoot today. It's not a it's not a pretty thing. Courtesy of Drive to Survive, I have seen Daniel Ricciardo shoot and it is uh it is heinous. Right. It is a crime against right. humanity. Like we can all like like I'm terrible and I can take a prettier shot than Daniel Ricciardo. I cannot put a, a I cannot put a car I can't put the right tire of an F one car on a pin at one hundred and ninety miles an hour. You know? Mm. Not not capable. My neck doesn't do that. No, filming them shooting basketball shots might be slightly embarrassing. Filming me trying to do that would lead to certain death. So I'm, yeah. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. Yeah, like, like if you could see, go look at the video. Go find the video of Jimmy Butler riding around with, I believe it's either, I think it's Lando Norris, but it might be Charlotte Claire. No, it's Lando Norris because it's in a McLaren. Um, go, go look at the video of Jimmy Butler riding around. Jimmy Butler is an amazing athlete. Jimmy Butler looks like he is on the wrong planet when he is in that car with Lando Norris. Uh, there is just nothing better. So we know for sure 
Terry Bodass built different candidate heading into this weekend. And Spencer Hall will be one of the people down here covering this Formula One correspondent and analyst for the weekend in Miami. Spencer, enjoy the scenes, man. I'm sure it is going to be a spectacle. Absolute scenes, lads. Thanks. Not only do I want to see Drive to Survive now, I want to rewatch The Little Rascals. <laughs> Drive to Survive is really in. Like, I wanted to be the person because I came to it super late and I was like everyone else doubt. No, it's just I don't know if any vessel has done as good a job explaining the complexities of a sport in a way that's digestible that I've ever seen. And, and you could tell, like, I just admire the fact that they got access to, like, the sports B team and they made it really compelling. Like, they do nope. not have they don't have prime rib. They're, they're dealing with, like, scraps in the first season and, and a lot of the second season. And then later on, they start to get some of the big guys, right? Like last season, if you watch the latest season of it, it's about last season. And last season had this like crazy soap opera finish. Um, oh, and they, yeah. They do, yeah. they do it really. It came down to the last race. These things never come down to the last race. It was an extremely controversial finish. Uh, nearly ended Lewis Hamilton's career. Um, yeah. Just amazing yeah. shit, y'all. Yeah. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon, you'll, you'll like it. Damn. Sick, man. Well, Shoot, enjoy it. You guys said sounds like you guys got a pretty full weekend coming up, so I'll be excited to see all of it. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go do Levitar tomorrow too. So, you know, oh, festivities awesome. never end. Are you staying uh are you down right on South Beach? Do they have you near the Clevelander? No, they have us closer up to the track. So I'm in Hollywood. So oh, okay, gotcha. So like Holland Hollandale Beach. Um I'm like forty five minutes from the airport. That's uh, Hollywood's where they put us for the uh, for the ass whooping back in 12. So I remember the area pretty well. Yes, real nice. You should come back and get a better memory. (laughs) I'm going to work on it at some point here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Spencer. All right. Awesome. Big thank you to Spencer Hall for stopping by, getting everyone right for some Formula One this weekend here. It'll be on at a normal time, so it's not like you gotta wake up at seven in the morning to watch it in Australia. And again, congrats to Spencer Hall, his colleague Holly Anderson, and what they did with the Charity Bowl that we talked about earlier in the week. Gets to start his week with that good news, end his week in Miami. That is good, clean living, Brandon. Oh, absolutely. And I'm excited for another popular sport uh, for for this side of the pond in America, I'm, and I'm really pulling for White Castles to end up getting a car. Whoever's going to write those checks. Maybe Waffle House. They're too cheap. The, the, the Waffle, Waffle House probably doesn't seem like dollar amount wise, but man, what I would give for a Waffle House Formula One car. That would be an unmitigated disaster. It would crash every race and be the one that log jam everyone else. It'd be incredible. So sticky and slippery. Oh, man. You know what else is sticky and slippery, Brandon? Ooh. Drake DM and somebody else's wife. Let's get to this, that, and the third. And Brandon, before we get to a bunch of off-the-field headlines that went absolutely insane in the last 48 hours here, let's go to a couple on the ice here because we've got our perfect story entryway into the Stanley Cup playoffs here. We do love hockey. Hockey's postseason is a blast to hang out with. We told you guys, we are going to get hockey guests in here at some point. We're going to have a great time. But in the meantime, we found our perfect hockey story for us. Because in the triple overtime win for the Penguins against the New York Rangers the other night, we saw a goalie change for Pittsburgh. The Penguins started Casey DeSmith, who left the ice with about 9.07 left in the second overtime period. And so, enter the man, the myth, 
the legend, Louis Domingue, who Demang. comes in there, Louis Domingue. I, well, I, know, I, was trying, I was trying to give him some French, some like, I can't you, give him French you know, swing. You, you know what I was trying to give him? What? His name without messing it up because I was very nervous about it. You had to go. The, the key is to just say Louis <laughs> Domingue and then move right past I'm it. Sorry, and you had I'm to go back sorry. and bring energy to it and not bring energy to what happened next. Because he came in, saw DeSmith going into the locker room, and said the on-ice officials informed him that he was entering the game. He said he thought the French referees, the French officials, were playing a joke on him. And so he goes in and balls out after admittedly saying that he wasn't, quote, engaged all the time while watching on the bench and admitted to Emily Kaplan in an interview after the game that between the first and second overtimes, he ate a bowl of spicy pork and broccoli intended for the post-game meal for the team. Because, you know, you get to overtime periods, you get to, you yes. know, lightning delays or anything in games like we would deal with. You end up breaking into the food resources a little faster than anticipated. And his response was, it wasn't great. <laughs> So this guy was on the bench, not fully paying attention, no. which, man, deeply relatable for a couple of guys that spent their fair amount of their careers as backups, and yep. then went into the locker room and was pile-driving spicy pork and broccoli Can't and came it. in and ended this game and helped them hold on for the win in this one. Brandon, this man, truly a hero of this podcast, big-time legend. I, I It sounds like he's going to get a uh, – it, I don't know, man. It just sounds like a guy that we can really rally around. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, he's, listen, you can't be caught eating if you're a bench warmer. That's just one thing. You, sne you sneak the snacks, you take little bites when you get back on the field. You can't just go, go pounding uh, some spicy pork and broccoli. But he did say in the interview as well that he believes that meal, not great as it was, fueled him for the third overtime. So, you know, kind of all ends out even at the end of the day. Everything sounds good when you're the guy who's on the winning side of this. It sounds True. like he may get the chance to be the starter in game two coming up tonight. Uh, so exciting for him. We'll hear, I'm sure, all about whatever his pregame meal is going to be. I, for one, wasn't a guy that could eat much during games where there was even any chance that I could play. Because as you know, I was a pregame puker. Had to keep yes. it light. I yes. puked before every meaningful game I ever played in. And so that would not have ended well for your boy. But how is, how is eating? Like, Do you play hungry? Uh, yes, I would more often than not go into that pretty hungry just because if I put too much in there, it was going to be left in the tunnel before we got out on the field. Mm -hmm. And if you had to, God forbid you had to do this on ice, there is nowhere to hide that. You were in a oh. very crowded bench area over there on these NHLs, uh, NHL sidelines and the ice there unforgiving as someone who once puked in the sideline of a high school game that was a snow game. Everybody notices. Woo. Everybody notices. Woo. It's not cute. Painting that snow. That's nasty. Brandon, you know what else isn't cute? We finally get to talk about it. This man, Drake. So, mm, 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 mm. Uh, uh, this is uh, this cornrows Drake, by the way. Braids Drake is a whole other evolution of Drake. But similar Drake tendencies to what we've seen here. And this is, shout out to Jalen and Jacoby. This, this feels like the perfect soft move boss move yes. for their podcast and TV show here. Yes. So Tuesday of this week, Drake commented on an Instagram post. Uh, there was a shooting coach that talked about, you know, lethal some shooter. Of the, yeah, lethal shooter. He's NBA he has, shooting He has coach. those rims that has like like daggers and knives around and he shoots it. It's just like a carnival 
It's, it, it's oh, hilarious. I have seen those. Yeah. yeah he uh, co-hosts the Certified Buckets podcast with Ashton Nicole Moss. But continue. So he had an Instagram post out there, quote tweeting a Slam Studios tweet saying T. Morant was approaching LeVar Ball levels of annoyance. And his comment was, you know, these guys have done nothing but be supportive fathers on their side. You know, he said T. Morant's only been a supportive father on the sideline, gave his son props, gave his opponents props, and just had some fun in the process. And Drake jumped into the comment section and said, imagine your son makes the league or he's Ja or Mello or Lonzo. All you can do is be elated and competitive and over-supportive, and it's the rite of passage that the OGs talk shit. I know I'm going to be that way even if my son is in a Rubik's Cube competition. So (laughs) essentially out here supporting it with a way-too-wordy comment on Instagram because it's Drake, and we just understand that. That is when this man stepped in. Instagram user SetiBo underscore YBagNM said, your son probably play with ghostwriters. <laughs> and this is this is truly like straight out of the Chappelle show sketch when keeping it real goes wrong. Oh yeah. For sure. Like Drake said, I don't like people playing on my phone. <laughs> and he <laughs> I keeps it real. <laughs> I don't like people playing on my phone. So he wrote back to him, I just followed your girl because she's probably miserable and needs some excitement in her life. And then Drake followed her, slid into her DMs and said, I'm here for you, Ma. I love it. I love it. So So you're pro this move from Drake. Only with the message. Like, if he slid in and said anything else, maybe not. I'm here for you, Ma, just because, like, you got somebody who you go to sleep with, who you either share a bed or bills with, and he out here with some lame-ass commentary about uh, Drake's son. Like, it's it was a lazy joke. It was it was it was it was joke. a bad joke. It was a bad and, joke. And and I think Drake knows his victims. He was like, okay, there's the the weak lamb. Let me attack. And let me try to smear the blood everywhere. But the dude was the one who actually posted the receipts of well, him of, of him uh, actually sliding to his wife's DMs. And that's where this really pops off is because Drake, you know, it's it probably a bridge too far for me in the rebuttal to all of this. Like, you're a guy, like, and again, the whole notion of this joke was you don't write your own raps. And so to not have a tight response ready for that on Instagram, if you're going to do battle here... To me, is like you're kind of feeding into what he wants in all of this one. This seems yeah. like a step too far. The guy reposting this on Twitter and trying to act like he is laughing through this is going out sorry. Like, that, oh. I'm sorry. We are way too online, and this is me putting my hand up because I'm right there in it. If that is your first reaction in this sea of what happened... I don't know if I can co-sign that behavior. We may all need to log off for a little bit because rushing to do this is just far too deeply online. It's indicative of the comment. It's like the the people come soft. It's like the the people who uh, clap at you in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if you even get hate on your social media, uh, rightfully so, because you're a form of the golden child, and I and I respect that. But when you like somebody claps back at you and you say something to them and they say, Oh, I love your show. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Oh, I of didn't think I was going to get a response. <laughs> Tell your dad I said hi. Work. <laughs> oh, I, I, I always get that one when the people hit the back pedal is love, love listening to you and your dad in the morning. It's what? Like, it's, it's a Katie burner. Um, but, but yes, that's what I'm saying. It was like this, it was, it was, it's, it's soft move in my, in my opinion, to bring it back home to Jalen Jacoby. Uh, it's soft move on the commenters part. And it's, I don't, I don't want to give Drake a boss move for this because it was probably like something very throwaway in his day. Like, I don't even know if he thought about it when he was saying his prayers at night, but it's a boss move. He went to his wife's DM and was like, I, I'm here for you, ma. Like, I'm here for you. Your man's a lame. And he's showing it. He's showing his ass as a lame. I, I'm going to go soft move if we're using that paradigm just because it's far too calculated. Like, we talked about this with Katie yesterday. If you clap back at someone online who is coming to your mentions, you're not the bad guy. They walked into your backyard and then got sad when you beat the shit out of them. That ain't your fault. <laughs> But this is like you like this is like if someone did that to you and then you went Gerard Butler from Law Abiding Citizen and like <laughs> locked them in a cellar God. below ground. <laughs> that is not. That is not true. It's this too much effort. Life. It's too much effort. This is he trying exactly, hard on defense no. and pick up basketball. It's too much effort. He, he did exactly what he said. He did. He's going to give his wife a little excitement. And that's what happened. He gave. He didn't only give his wife a little excitement. He gave Shade Room, Double XL, Complex. Like he gave everyone a little excitement. Drake gives. You, have you seen the uh, uh, God's Plan music video? <laughs> Put a little bit of excitement in your lifestyle. You sound like ludicrous a little bit there. Got to know the times of the essence. I'm talking right now. Uh, speaking. <laughs> All right, Brandon, last one here. This is the third. This is wild. Wild headline. I just want to, this is off, this is uh, off XXL. This is the headline. Buster Rhymes and Jamie Foxx, among crew who sent the man that attacked Dave Chappelle to the hospital, per report. (laughs) Well, I know this is annoying, but could you read it one more time? Absolutely. Okay. Buster Rhymes and Jamie Foxx, among crew who sent the man that attacked Dave Chappelle to the hospital. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's okay. so good. So Tuesday night, Dave Chappelle headlined the Netflix is a joke comedy festival at the Hollywood Bowl in LA. And towards the end of the Chappelle the uh the set, someone charged the stage and tackled Dave Chappelle. He was doing his yes. commentary and someone no, he, ran he, 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 it, it was he was he brought all the comedians back out for like a final bow, but the guy in the front row jumped and basically dolphin t- blocked or what do they call it block tackle when you just throw your oh he speared uh, him yeah speared speared Dave Chappelle and before you know it you know keeping it real went wrong and he was on the ground tussling with Dave Chappelle and then the group of comedians and everyone who performers and uh, artists alike drug dude backstage. Uh, beat the living shit out of him, stomped him. Uh, I believe uh, Jay Farrell had a video uh, doing a Dave Chappelle impression saying he was singing his favorite song, Stomp, by Kurt Franklin. And my people say, stomp. And my brothers say, stomp. And anyways, and you see video of this thing? 
not necessarily of the fight. You see this a quick, a quick little glimpse of it, but you see the man getting wheeled off to the hospital. Yo, Mike, his that was arm the pi- is backwards. That was, that was the his picture that backwards. ruined my day. I didn't need to see that. Didn't his arm was backwards. It. He, he was he. They literally messed that man up. I mean, I guess rightfully so. I oh. guess, and, and also, and also, uh, Chris Rock was there. Came back on stage and made a quick joke. He said, "Was that Will Smith?" Uh, got got it in. We, had to do it. Had to do it. But also, this is what people were talking about. Do you remember when this happened at the Oscars and people were like, "Now stand-up comedians are in danger. They're going to be rushed, bum rushed by anyone. If Will Smith does it, anyone can do it." I mean, we're not a calendar month away, and we have somebody running it on the Hollywood Bowl. At a at a at a comedy festival, attacking the the Zeus of comedians. I'll say this: it was like on a serious note, very unsettling. My first thought was, man, thank God it wasn't worse because it was reported that the guy was brandishing like a replica firearm that had a blade yes. attached to it. Like yes. it could have gone a lot worse. The fact that Chappelle and them were back out after talking about this, Dave literally came out and said, I've been doing this 35 years and I just stomped a dude backstage. <laughs> he said, I always wanted to do that. He's like, I seen Buster Rhymes. He was like, that's how you do it, God. But. Like, so the fact that it, it didn't go worse was my first thought. My second thought was, man, a lot of people are getting fired. Because oh, for that guy oh. to make it on stage, yeah, like, that should never happen. Security should not be allowing that to happen. And I'm not going to pretend to know the intricacies of security for an event like that. But I've seen enough shows of musicians and other people where if you see someone on stage... It is like a split second difference before head hits turf because some security guard has sent them to meet the maker of their choice. <laughs> I, I hear you, but I'm going to push back a little bit because it is as simple as we can do anything we put our minds to. It can be short lived, but if you if you dream it and think it, you can go out there and do it. It's like all those people with streakers, all these uh, people that have been boycotting trying to glue themselves to the to the ground of a of NBA playoff game no no not a lot of first round like all of those things all of those things they happened because someone said they they were going to make it happen no you know what though the perfect antidote to this and the perfect example of what I'm talking about happened when one of those ladies tried to rush the court and you saw that security guard that was in the yeah. second row that had on. a Madison, Madden awareness score of 99 and should have been awarded eh. the first 100 because as soon as that woman got out of her chair she got planted on the floor there Wait, was not was, a split second difference in that was, time period that was instantaneous listen. I hear you but he was profiling before the incident happened he was staring at her like a hawk. He knew she was going to make a move. Whatever they, whatever That's, they, they found her out, and he was just, he was waiting. It was like a cheetah in tall grass. And you know what? That's part of the game. When you know more, you can play faster. When you've read the scouting report, you can understand tendencies. I'll never forget talking to Brian Smith, a linebacker on our team. Oh my god. Shut about up, about going about going into the backfield and jumping over, hurtling over a running back who went to cut him and said, oh yeah, I knew he was cutting me on Wednesday because I had known and seen it on film. If you yeah. study the tape and you know the game plan, you're going to be ready when the moment's called and you're going to be able to play faster. So I just, 
I'm listen. I want to make it clear because we don't do this on this show. I'm not calling for anyone's job. I just can't imagine this is a situation where Dave Chappelle gets tackled in the on the Hollywood the stage at the Hollywood Bowl, and there aren't consequences for that. Yeah, I just don't know for who. Because right now there's a man in the hospital recovering from uh, (laughs) (laughs) an ass whooping. There is a man recovering from a severe ass whooping by a a severe celebrity ass whooping. Yes, he got he got the celebrity ass whooping of the lifetime. And honestly, it still feels like he got off easy. And now he is going to face the legal issues of a lifetime against celebrities with deep pockets. And I'd imagine great lawyers and uh, Brandon. That is the most exciting edition of this, that and the third that we have had so far. Easy. Again. If you've made it this far, thank you as always. Tell a friend, grab a buddy, download, subscribe, rate, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We greatly appreciate everyone who's taken the time to do it so far. Remind your friends to click that automatic download button when they subscribe Mm. to Gojo. And we'll Mm. see you guys tomorrow.